Good morning. It is, a, it is a blessed morning this morning because we have the blessing of being here, being gathered together to study from God's Word, to spend some time learning about His will, and to be together with one another, His family. That is a true blessing that we have in Christ, that we are the family of Christ, the family of God. If you want to go ahead and open your, your, your Bibles this, uh, this morning to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and in chapter 12. That's where we'll be spending a great deal of our time. Uh, in fact, uh, just if you want to go ahead and mark this and just kind of park yourself here, we're going to spend almost all of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. What I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time talking directly, directly to us at Lake Street. You know, it can be real easy sometimes to apply our thoughts elsewhere, to apply our thoughts to people that we think, oh, I, that they might need this lesson, or, or there's somebody that I know that, that really could have stood to hear, to hear that. But this morning, for the next few minutes, and, and I'm not going to be very long-winded this morning, I want you to know that if you identify with this congregation, that I am talking directly to you. And that means I am talking directly to me, too. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, there is a message that you need to listen to. And there's a message that I need to listen to. And we need to give great care and close attention to this message. 1 Corinthians 12, read with me verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. That's a very, very big statement that is made in 1 Corinthians 12, a very important statement. And before we go any further into this lesson, just for a moment, I want you to pretend. I want you to do something that, that our children have learned to do so very well, to put themselves in, in situations that maybe do not exist in reality. I want you to pretend with me, maybe even close your eyes and picture that this is your reality. You and your family have just recently moved to a new city. And it's quite a large city. It's a metropolis, uh, a very big city. And you're looking for a local congregation to work with there. One that you will regularly be attending with. One that you will be joining with the members there. And you find that in this particular place, there are eight different churches of Christ. And so what do you do? You start visiting around. You start looking at each and every one of them. Examining them. Learning about them. What do they teach? How do they act? And as you do this, you start to uncover some things about each one of these congregations, things that are quite startling to you. Congregation A, the first one you visit, is composed of many members who are extremely, extremely legalistic. In fact, so much so that they almost entirely and completely deny the grace of God. Everything is about what you do and only what you do. And if that wasn't bad enough, this congregation has stirred up so much controversy there are so many problems that are originating and, and, and are spreading out from this congregation. Congregation B is made up of members who have not developed the ability to differentiate between matters of faith and matters of personal opinion. Congregation C was a very worldly congregation. It was full of worldly brethren. There were some there that which were very knowingly and openly committing sexual immorality, and there was even those that were showing up to the assemblies drunk. And then you went to Congregation D and found that this congregation was dealing with a lot of doctrinal error and had almost completely been led away from Christ. They'd almost completely fell into apostasy because of the teaching that was going on back over at Congregation A, the things that they were saying. Congregation E 
It was a congregation that had absolutely no life whatsoever, just, just a bunch of logs sitting down and, and, and showing up each day or each, each Sunday for service. They were completely apathetic. They had no zeal left in them for the Lord. Congregation F looked like a wonderful congregation, seemed like a wonderful place to be if it were not for these two very, very vocal members that were just constantly butting heads and fighting and clashing with one another. Congregation G was full of brethren who would just rather just sit back and not do anything. They'd sit back and just kind of mooch off the goodwill of all the brothers around them, all the sisters around them, and, and, and they just kind of sat back and, and decided that, that work just wasn't for them. And Congregation H was a place where Bible classes were taught, sometimes even from the pew, by very obnoxious men who were so immature that one might start to believe that even the children of the congregation could possibly lead a class better than them. Now, I haven't named these congregations. I haven't given them names, but I want you to know that none of this is hypothetical. None of this is made up. Every one of these congregations are actual local churches of Christ. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Because I don't know about you, but... To me, that kind of makes me sick. That kind of makes me shudder a little bit when I think that there are churches like that, like what we just talked about. And to think that I might have to identify with a church like one of these, that seems absurd to me. Surely this can't be right. Surely I would not want to identify with one of these broken churches. It's kind of like going to a buffet. You know, they've closed the, the golden crowd down here. That broke my heart so many years ago. I haven't got over that yet. But they imagine going to that buffet, and we walk in there, and all the food is spoiled rotten. It stinks. It's slimy. And I'm not for sure, but then the mashed potatoes, I think I saw something crawling around in them. I would look at that. You would look at that, and you would say, you know what? These are vile options. I think I would rather starve. I think I would rather just not eat if that is all that I have to, to, to choose from. And maybe that's how we would feel if we moved into this area. If we moved into the, such a place as this, we would say, you know what? I don't want to associate with any of these places. You know, I don't think a single one of us would deny that in this day, in our country, churches have some serious, serious problems, spiritual problems. And we turn to the New Testament, we look at what the Lord calls a church, and what he calls them to be, and then we compare that with the problems, and we compare that with what we see churches doing today, and similarly, we're perplexed. We ask ourselves, what in the world is wrong today? Why don't we see New Testament churches today? I want you to hold on to that thought for just a moment. Let's think about that for a second. Because Congregation A, that was the church in Jerusalem. Congregation B was the church in Rome. Congregation C was the church in Corinth. Congregation D was the church, one of the churches in Galatia. E was the church in Laodicea, F was in Philippi, G was in Thessalonica, and H, Congregation H was in Ephesus. And we talk about patterns of the New Testament all the time. So let's talk about patterns a little bit this morning. Just for a second, let's see, let's see some of the patterns of the New Testament. Because there are patterns for our worship. There are patterns that say that these are things that are accepted by God, and these are things that are not accepted by God. And we see patterns for our life. Marriage is between uh, uh, one man and one woman, and it is to be for life. And children are to obey your parents, and parents, likewise, you're to raise your children. We see these patterns over and over again, but you want to know another pattern we see 
every time we read about a church, we see a pattern of churches with problems. We see that repeatedly. In fact, every local church that we read about in the New Testament, every single one had something that they needed to be working on. That is because local churches are composed of saved but imperfect people. And that means they are imperfect congregations. Some of them were in danger of falling away entirely. So what's the point in saying all that? My point of saying all that is this. Churches in that day, in Christ's day, in, in the, the first century, in the apostles' day, churches in that day looked an awful lot like churches in our day. And I'm going to tell you right now that Lake Street is absolutely no different. We are no different than that. And to think that we are, to think that we are signifies a really big problem in our hearts. Because we may not have the exact same problems they'd have, but there is no doubt about it. Be certain that we do have problems. We have members who, who are not using their talents that God has given them. We have members who voice their opinions a little too loudly. We have those who should be teachers and they are not. We have those who are not involved and are not plugged into the work that's going on here. And we have those who are timid. And we have those who are not displaying boldness. And we have those who, who are weak. And let me tell you right now, Kyle Blevins fits into each and every one of those categories. We could list our faults all day long. But that's not going to be, prof that's not going to be profitable. That's not going to be helpful. My purpose here this morning is not to list all the things that we have wrong. Maybe you're asking yourself, though, you're just like, well, exactly what is your purpose then, Kyle? Why bring this little, this little nugget of, of, of gloom on such a bright, sunny day? My purpose this morning is this. You must understand, and I must understand, that even with the blemishes that we have, even though we have imperfections, we are the body of Christ. Again, verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Who was Paul talking to when he wrote this? He was talking to a congregation that was awful. They had so many problems. They had immorality. They had divisions. They had disorder. They had brothers running around suing brothers. And yet, you are the body of Christ, Corinth. This morning, my purpose is to show that even though we have problems, we are the body of Christ. And I show that to stimulate us to grow, to encourage us, don't give up. Look at the awesome body that God has placed us in here at this local church and be reminded of just how important it is to function like a body, to function like the body that God created in spite of our problems. So how should this body function? Chapter 12 continues to make this obvious. And over and over again, we see that the body is to function as one. That is to say the body is to function as a united body. So let's back up just a little bit from verse 27. Let's begin reading verses 12 through 13. Verse 12 through 13 says, For even as the body is one... And yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. 
What Paul is saying in this, as he begins this section, he is saying we are one or we are united in a shared or common Savior. We are all one because we are a part of Christ's body. He is the head of it. And we are all sharing or, or, or have something in common with that. A common salvation. He was saying we are baptized into one body. And so let's be very, very clear here. One, we aren't made a part of this body by adding our name to a directory. And we are made a part of this body by coming in and, and sitting in the pews. And we are made a part of this body by looking like we're doing the work or even participating in the work that is going on here. We are made a part of this body by sharing or fellowshipping in the precious blood of our Savior through baptism. And notice he pointed out that's in spite of the fact that we are different. Just because we are united, just because we are one, doesn't mean that we are all the same. And look how Paul shows that here. He says we can be and we are very different, but that is just how amazing the one body is. And he does this by focusing on two very different things, Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles. The background of the Jews and the Greeks are two very, very different backgrounds. In fact, they really couldn't be any more different. It's kind of like trying to compare oil and water. The only really thing they had in common that they were both humans. The only thing oil and water have in common is, like, I guess, they're both a liquid of some sort. One, the Jews, were the sanctified children of Abraham. We have them on one side. On the other side, we have corrupt, godless pagans. But now... What is Paul saying? Now both are one in Christ. He goes on to say slave and free. Again, these words are completely, capital T, totally, polarly opposite. And yet there is room for them together in the body of Christ. So let me ask you this question. If those kind of people, with those kind of differences, could be a part of the one body, what does that say about you and me? What does that say about us? Because, you know, we do have differences here. There are all sorts of differences. Just inside this room alone, we have political differences. We have financial differences. We have educational differences. We have, we have personal differences. But God says slave and free men can be united. God says Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles can be united. You and I... You and I had better be united. We had better be one. If these kind of people can be united in Christ, certainly we can be united as well. Now notice verse 14. Verse 14 goes on to say, For the body is not one member, but many. Let me tell you that those many members, those many members were of many different kinds of different. Let's keep reading verse through verse 17. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Here Paul is talking about the fact that each and every one of us has different abilities. And since each and every one of us has different abilities, each and every one of us has different capabilities of service. And that means that in, in this body, in this body, each and every one of us is very 
very useful. There are no appendixes in this body. The appendix, if you've got a problem with your appendix or your tonsils, we can take care of that. We can cut those out. We can get those out of there. They're not going to give you any trouble anymore. No, in this body, we can't stand to lose an organ. In this body, everyone, no matter what they do, no matter how they contribute, in this local church, they are very important. And so that means you. You are very important. You have an important role to play. And just like the foot and the hand and the eye and the ear all do different things for the body and are still a part of the body, the local church is comprised of people that do very different things. The preacher does things that, that are different than that from what the class teacher does or different from that what the song leader does or what an elder would do or, or, or what just an encourager, someone that's going to encourage people would do. These, everybody does something that is different, but they are all still a part of the body. And verse 18 tells us that wasn't an accident. That is by design. Now God has placed the, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. He didn't place us here by accident. He brings us together and he places us in positions to strengthen the whole and to strengthen the body. And you know what that means? That means that I need you. I need you to do your part so that I can function. And you need me to do my part so that you can function. Each one of us needs each other to be doing our parts. This is what Paul means when he says we are the body of Christ. Verse 21 through 25 goes on to teach us that that this is a body where every member can and every member should be appreciated. It says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What these verses tell us, if, if, that we are, if we are beating down, if we are tearing down a member of the body, or if we are dismissing a member of the body as, as not important, or if we are telling a part of the body that they just don't have enough, they're not worthy of, of our time and our effort, these verses are telling us that that cannot be happening in the body. That should not be. In fact, if I truly understand how a body works, then I will never tear down a member. I will never ignore a member in trouble because when I do that, I am ignoring myself and the problems that face myself and I am tearing down myself. What that means is we are all connected here and we are all feeding off one another here and I need to appreciate what you bring to the body. No matter how honorable some may see it or even how dishonorable in the eyes of men some may see your position. Verse 24 says, you know what? God sees every part of the body as honorable, as worthy of honor. And so I'm going to make these, these two, two main points, and then we'll, we'll conclude this lesson. We must appreciate the body. We do that in, in two ways. The first way is we appreciate every individual member of the body by showing them care. 
We must have concern for the health of each and every member of the body. The idea here is that no one, not a single member, will be overlooked in this. We are in this together. Read verse 26 with me. It says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We are going to be helping one another, and particularly in times of suffering. I heard an illustration the other day that just was so fitting to this. It said, if a man steps on a thorn, if a man steps on a thorn, the whole body feels it. The whole body feels it. So if a man steps on a thorn, the back bends, the thighs and the belly contract, the head stoops and the eyes gaze upon the affected part and the hand reaches forward and draws out the thigh or out the thorn. The whole body reacts to that one little thorn in the foot. If this is how the physical body works, shouldn't the spiritual body work the same? It must be this way in the body of Christ. In times of pain, in times of sorrow, in times of trial and of weakness, we come to the aid of one another. And that means when someone, when someone comes forward in repentance of some sin, no matter what we think of that sin, no matter what we think of how ugly that is, this is so sometimes epitomized when, when somebody comes forward confessing adultery. It can be real hard not to, to sit there and to judge that person because of that sin. Maybe in a class setting, someone admits something that they're struggling to you. Maybe just individually, somebody comes out and, and, and it becomes clear that a, a brother or sister is in need of us. Brethren, do you know what that is? That is God's green light. He is flashing that green light saying, it is time to go. It is not time to sit. It is not time to step back. It is not time to hope that somebody else is going to provide that comforting word. It is not time to judge. It is time to grab onto that individual and to love them and to pour out compassion on them. If they need encouragement, we encourage them. If they need assistance, we assist them. And if they need a warning, we warn them. That's what it means to weep with those who weep. We are involved. We are a part of their problem. And we join in with that sorrow. But it also says to join in with their joy. It means we're not going to be jealous of our brethren. We're not going to be envying them. We are going to be sharing in their joy. When a lost brother repents, when they turn from their sin and come back to the Lord, and they, they come back to, to what is right, we rejoice in that. And when a brother enjoys a blessing, a joy in their life, uh, maybe it's the birth of a child, the success of a good work, whatever that may be, we don't look at that and say, wow, nothing like that happens to me. No, this is a time for us to, to enjoy that with them, to rejoice with them. In all this, we appreciate each individual member. But we also we also need to remember that there's two sides to that because we also have to appreciate the whole. We also have to appreciate the body of Christ. And we do that in much the same way. We do that 
by caring. My next point is about something that, that so oftentimes has been mutilated and has been treated with disdain and has been approached so many ways in, in, that are completely unscriptural. When we talk about church discipline, we tend to think about tradition and not about what the counsel of God says. So let's take just a moment and examine exactly what does the Bible say in the way that we care for the body and we discipline the body of Christ. Paul's already discussed it with this congregation, with, with the Corinthian congregation. Turn back just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he was given instructions for how the Corinthians were to handle an individual of the body that was in sin. So here we see an example given of a man whose sin is immorality. And specifically, he was engaged in having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. And notice verse 13 of chapter 5. Verse 13 of chapter 5 says, But those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. There's a reason for this. And that reason is very important for us not to forget. The reason is verse 6. Flip back just a little bit. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the lump, the whole lump of dough? That needs to send up a warning flag in all of our minds. But if it doesn't, the next verse should stand out like a flashing neon sign. It says, clean out the old leaven so that you can be made a new lump just as you are in fact, unleavened. Paul was telling the Corinthians this. He was saying, because of the one that is in your midst, the one that is among you right now, living in sin, you are allowing the body to become corrupted by sin. Get it out. Remove it from you, because you are supposed to be unleavened. You are supposed to be uncorrupted. You are supposed to be pure. And right now, right now you're not. You are in need of removing the old leaven so that you can be made into a new lump. Because an unleavened lump is the only thing accepted by God. That's all good. And that's all easily understood. But what happens after that? Does that end the conversation? What about after the soul that was in sin, after they leave? Does that end our caring for the body? No, absolutely not. Because just because the member may have left, do we not remember that that member is still vitally important to the body? And that member still has an influence on the body. And that's why Paul went on a little bit further in the church of Thessalonica and gave them these instructions over in 2 Thessalonians 3. In verse 14 through 15, he says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter... Take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother to mark them or to make special note about them simply means to observe them. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul writes to the Philippians, Brethren, join in following my example and observe, or mark, it's the same exact Greek word, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. 
In Philippians, he's saying, look at the people that are following the example of Christ, the, the traditions that he taught and the traditions that we teach you today. Look at them and model yourselves after them. In Thessalonica, he was telling them, look at those who don't follow these traditions. Look at them and don't have anything to do with them so that they will be put to shame. We've already seen that the purpose here is to create a pure church. And the purpose here is to continue having care for the individual members of that church. <clears throat> when Paul tells this to the church at Thessalonica, to look at those who are living unruly, or those who are walking disorderly, those who are not living according to the tradition which was received from Jesus and his apostles, and to make note of them, again, it serves us well to, con to consider that the purpose here is setting a precedent, a precedent for the rest of the body that here sin is not accepted. And again, it's setting a precedent that we hope that the erring brother will move to repentance based upon the shame that they feel. And yet again, just like in the Corinthians 5, there is a specific sin that was going on in Thessalonica. If you will remember, Thessalonica was that church that had those who were content not to work. Those who were mooching off others. They were literally sitting back and waiting for the Lord's return. He's coming back. We don't have to do anything until he gets here. But just like back over in 1 Corinthians 5, just like the fact that sexual immorality isn't the only sin that can bring leaven into a lump. That we, 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 would never, we would never think that. That sin or sexual immorality is the only thing that can corrupt a church. Certainly any sin is going to be able to corrupt a church. The same thing is true here. Idleness, busybodiness, these aren't the only sins that deserve us making a special note of. These aren't the only sins that deserve us saying, we see what that person is doing, and that's not accepted here. And so that means they're not the only sin that deserves us not associating with the one that is actively and unrepentantly engaging in those sins. Let's read from one last viewpoint on this. And we won't talk about it anymore this morning. Let's look at what another, what another writer had to say. Turn over to 2 John. The Apostle John had, to, had, had, had a, a very, very powerful, powerful teaching that he wanted to say about this exact issue. In 2 John, verses 9 through 11, John writes this, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. I want to read it one more time. I want to read it this time from the, the NLT. I was blown away by the way they translated this. Anyone who wanders away from his teaching has no relationship with God. If anyone remains in the teaching of Christ, has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil works. When John wrote these words, he wasn't saying, you hate these people. 
He wasn't saying that you don't love these people. He was saying you don't encourage them. You have no part in encouraging them to continue in their sin. He is making it perfectly clear here, just like Paul makes it perfectly clear, we can't choose to straddle the fence when it comes to the body of Christ. If there is one who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, we must pay very careful attention so as to not encourage them and join them, so that we might mark them and avoid them, and so they might be clear that they are removed not from, not from a local congregation, not from a directory. They are removed from the body of Christ. Why? Why is that so important? Because that's what we are. The Lord's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are the Lord's body. You are the body of Christ. And that is an awesome body. And it is knit together and it is held together by Jesus. Not by us. Not by our thoughts. Not by our intentions. Turn over to Colossians. This will be our last passage that we look at. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Colossians 1, verse 16 through 18 should take so much weight off of our shoulders. We should read these passages and and be so enlightened and and be able to move forward when we know. In verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. So first we are told by Paul that Christ is, is... the, the end-all, be-all. He created everything, and everything that he created is for him. And then verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. What a comfort that that should give to us. That I don't have to hold things together. I'm not the one that is going to hold a, a church together. I'm not the one that's going to hold a family together. I'm not the one that's going to hold a, a country together. It is in Christ He has the ability to hold things together. We need to read that passage and read it again and read it again until we finally cement that into our thinking. That no matter what the situation is, no matter how difficult or how big the triumph is, it is not us that holds things together. And the body of Christ is absolutely no different because as verse 18 goes on to say, He is the head of the body, the church. It is His body. He will hold it together. So no matter how bad we want to hold things together, no matter how bad we might think things will go, or even how certain we are that if we do it this way, it's the right way, it's not for us to decide that. And we're deciding that. Carl put it very well on Wednesday night. When we're deciding that, we're whittling on God's end of the stick. When we look at a sub and they say, I'm not sure if we should do that because it might have this. If God said it, then we do it and we live, leave that part of that stick to him. He can handle that because he holds things together. It is in Christ that all things will be held together. And it is only when the body functions together in his unity that it can purely and truly be functioning properly. This morning, this morning, if you have not become a part of his body, that body, then what I want to tell you this morning is that you're missing out. You're missing out on the best that Christ has to offer. The best he has to offer in this life. Let me tell you right now, when you decide to join that body, and maybe even when you've already made that, you've already joined this body, but you're not quite figured it out yet, you're joining a body 
that is not made of perfect Christians. And you're joining a body that is made of people that are going to get it wrong. And you won't also be joining a body, though, that is made of people that are going to scratch and claw and step all over each other to see who can get to heaven first. You're you're joining a body made of saved but imperfect people that look forward to going to heaven. And that look forward to being there together for eternity, praising God. But the only way we're going to do that is if we hold to his word and hold fast to that word. This morning, if we can help you become a child of God, or if you have something that you need to repent of, brothers and sisters, just remember what you are assembled in this morning. You are not assembled in a building. You are assembled here with the body of Christ. Whatever we can do to assist you in that, won't you please let it be known. Come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.